Hi, just before the episode gets underway, uh, I wanted to tell everyone, if you haven't heard, we're going to London. Yes, the Shadow Girls are going to be taking part in the Vault Festival. We are bringing Wild Tales, Wild with an E, the fairy tales of Oscar Wilde to the Vault Festival. We are retelling some of Oscar Wilde's fairy tales with storytelling, shadow puppets, a bit of drag too. Tickets can be found in the link below. We are performing on Sunday the 1st of March and Sunday the 8th of March at 3pm in The Pit, The Vaults, Leak Street. This is a family-friendly show, so please bring all the family. We say our ideal audience is made up of mature children and childish adults. There is a link in the episode description if you want to know more about the show. And if you want to get tickets, please, we would love to see you there. And now, back to some stories. Hi there, welcome to Sounds from the Shadow, the podcast where the Shadow Gals get together to talk about fairy tales, mythology and folklore. Uh, I'm George and I have never introduced this show before and have no idea what I'm saying. You did a really good job. Thank uh, you. Yeah. I'm Emily. Uh, I'm Roisin. And we're also joined by three dogs. Okay, so if you hear snoring or snuffling, that's them. <laughs> um, bun update, because I was putting it on the Twitter. Over the weekend, Bun she managed to slip her kneecaps which were a bit wobbly after her accident, but they've been put back in place, which apparently is quite easy to do on dogs. Uh, she's in no pain and she's bopping around the place, happy as Larry. So that Tail is wagging. That mm-hmm. is your Bunbury update for the day. <laughs> uh, what are we talking about today? Wild birds. Yes, wild with an E. Oh. <gasps> because of... Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde, indeed. <laughs> yes. Oscar... Oscar Fingal O'Flaherty Wills Wilde. Which is a long Himself. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and Shannon, she taught, she has been reading a biography of both Oscar Wilde and Oscar Wilde's son, Vivian. Ooh. And she went through uh, his name, which means very symbolic things. Uh, so Oscar, he was named Oscar after son of Finn McCool. No, grandson of Finn McCool, mm-hmm. son of Ashim Oscar. Mm-hmm. Because his mother in her youth was a fervent nationalist. Yeah. And was also, both his parents were very into their folklore and mythology. Oscar Fingal was after... Um, some relative, I think. Fair. O'Flaherty was a family his mother really wanted to be connected with. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Wills was after his father, who was William, which was a bit weird because his brother was also called William. Yeah. And then Wild was because his surname was Wild. So yeah, Oscar Fingal O'Flaherty Wills Wild, and at his mother's literary salons, Oscar made his public debut. His party piece was just shouting his full name. When he was like two years old yeah. or something. Oh, that. It's That's a long name for a two-year-old. Yeah, just a little posh child just screaming. His name is very entertaining. <laughs> well, his mother, is Sper- um, her name was Jane, but she wrote under the name Speranza. And one amazing woman. I'd love to I'd love to like see a play about her. There's a great yeah. but she was, um She was an absolute doting mother. Like She had these very fancy literary sounds with like mm. all of the creme de la creme, the intellect of Dublin, and her two toddlers. Yeah. And she used to dress them up as, uh, like, you know, most mothers like to like dress up their little baby and aren't they so cute she used to dress them up as historical figures yeah (laughs) and like as was prone in the victorian time like oscar wore dresses as a little toddler because Mm. you know pretty potty training it's much easier but as well as dresses she would put real jewels on him oh thank god the the queer energy begun (laughs) at a very early stage Absolutely fabulous, even age two. Mm-hmm. There's always a, that there's a photograph of Wild that people were speculating was him in drag, um, but it's not. It's him in traditional dress, but it is a fantastic picture because he's like one leg up, full pose, like really just like fully done up. Um, fantastic. And then people thought that it was, it was possibly drag, but just him being him being fabulous. Him being fabulous, yes. <laughs> there's a great book called, and I haven't read it, which. Um, but every time I see it, I mean to. It's like Oscar Wilde's women or something. It's about all of the women yeah. in his life, in his life, like his wife, his mother. Because he had a lot of female yeah. friends. Like all of his, he was very much like, he he, he loved women, yeah. which I, I was always very comforting when I was like getting into him when I was like 14, 15. I was like, he actually likes women, which yeah. is yeah. pretty nice from an older writer and to unusual. see. unusual. Yeah. <laughs> He doesn't hate women. <laughs> because um, I went to a tour of the Oscar Wilde House, mm-hmm. which is the American College. It's number one, Marion Square. 
great address. Just and this is a statue of him just opposite. But they were talking about him and his life. And when he first went to London, before he became Oscar Wilde the writer, everyone knew him as Oscar Wilde, the guy you want to have at your dinner party. Mm-hmm. But one of his friends was a portrait artist, and he was painting all these society ladies. And Oscar used to just sort of sit in the corner smoking cigars and chatting to them. Yeah. So he got to know all of these uh, women who were actually very influential because they were either the wives of mistresses of lords and theatre owners and things, which really helped when his writing came out. Yeah. Because they're like, oh, Oscar, he's a lovely chap. Yeah, definitely have a read of him. Mm. Excellent. The female <clears throat> characters in his plays and all are so, like, actually characters, yeah. which is, like, again, you're like, oh, she's not just the wife. She's really just, yeah. like... They're, they're not just symbols. They're the fully fleshed out. They're, like, obviously, like, he's, he's, he's mocking everything. So, like, they're, like, mocking certain attributes as well. But, like, yeah. they're, they're really striking and they really stay with you because they are as fleshed out yeah. as the men that are on the stage with them. Yeah. And a number of his plays, they, they deal with this sort of odd position that women had in society at the time. So there's the whole A Woman of No Importance and Lady Windermere's Fan, where it's all about the, the double standard of reputation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been a long time since I've actually read any of Wilde's plays, but I the one that the scene that always sticks out to me because um, I think myself and another girl in our year wanted to play it for uh, for one of our modules. Um, it was in the importance of being earnest, and there's the two ladies um, eating tea, uh, eating cake and yeah. scones and drinking tea or something. But there's this really passive aggressive little. Yeah. How does that go mm-hmm. again? It, I can't remember the line. She doesn't get. I think one of them's like, you know, oh, do you want a cup of tea? Do you want sugar? Yes, I would like sugar. And she like pointedly gives her a cup without sugar. Yes. And all that sort of like underhand stuff. She's like, oh, I never have cream. And she's like, just yes, lashing it on. Yeah. yeah. It's um, Gwendolyn and Cecily. And Cecily, That's she's it. the younger one. And she's been raised in the country. And Cecily and Gwendolyn, she's older. Mm-hmm. But she's from the city and she's very sophisticated. Mm. So she keeps saying things like, no one ever takes cream in London. Y- yeah. It's unfashionable. Mm-hmm. as these little sort of pointed jabs at Cecily. And Cecily's just like, well, I like cream. <laughs> Cecily is one of the, the best characters yeah. like, ever written because she... Imagine Othello rocking up and you've written a diary and she's like, you're extremely rude for not replying to my letters that I wrote to you before I'd met you. Yeah. And, uh, and like having an entire diary of all the times when he had proposed to her when they had not even met yet and going... <laughs> I have enough confidence to produce this to you. Yes. I'm already angry at you for not really upholding our relationship. That doesn't exist yet. Uh, well, she, yeah, because, I mean, she's been told about this this man who doesn't exist, this terrible um, brother Jack of her, her guardian, who's a wicked rake in London. And she's decided, oh, that sounds fun. And it's it, she's wonderful. Yeah, because she's fantastic. She's, <laughs> she's both this sort of almost childlike fantasy and then also this mm-hmm. very practical worldly woman at yeah. the same time and it's it's great fun i really relate to her um aversion to german grammar <laughs> it's <laughs> extremely relatable <laughs> so georgia why why are we talking so much about oscar wilde um well actually it's a good point we should probably shift the focus a little bit to uh, the birds um tweet, tweet. But so um as you may have heard uh unless you've been living under a rock or you're me and don't do social media. Um, we're going to be doing a show in London. And then, at some point in the future that I cannot state yet, again in Dublin. <gasps> oh my god. And it is a show about Oscar Wilde's short stories. So we're going to be performing um, some of Oscar Wilde's short stories, particularly his children's stories. Um, am I saying the right thing? Yeah, you are. Cool. Okay. <laughs> so, um, you, you'll have heard a promo at the beginning of this episode, uh, which we won't have heard because I haven't recorded it yet. Magic. <laughs> I know, magic time oh. travel. Uh, but we're doing uh, Wild Tales in London, which is a mix of shadow puppetry, storytelling, um, Crystal Bollocks as Wild, being the MC, giving some fantastic witticisms. Being fabulous. Oh. And we noticed magic. there's a lot of birds in these fairy tales. Mm-hmm. Um, so we thought birds are a really interesting motif that come up in fairy tales and fiction and they show up in wild stories. So we thought we would talk about some wild birds. <gasps> tweet, tweet. tweet. <laughs> I don't know how to make the, the noise of the swallow. Oh. I don't know exactly. I'm, I'm a city girl. <laughs> I, I, just know, I know pigeons and seagulls. Yeah. 
Just to give a screech of a seagull right now. Just... We're getting vicious. Oh god, the ones around Trinity. Like, oh. there, there's a Facebook page dedicated just to the arts block seagulls and how many, how often they steal food, and it's it's extremely um. It, I have a fear for my life every day, but yeah. it's okay. There was a Facebook page for the Waterford seagulls way mm. back when I was at school there oh. as well. Yeah. Just they're they're huge, and I have no fear of humans at all. No, mm. they like I I saw them snatch a full foot long subway out of a guy's hand on Henry Street. That's not a child. Like they don't really don't care. Yeah. Like they, they... <laughs> it is just a matter of time before they start attacking babies. Yeah, yeah, because they're soft, they're squishy. Yep. They had they had a, a whole segment on the radio, I think it was just before the general election, because they wanted to take a breather, mm. um, about seagulls in, I mean, like, I think it was, it was up in sort of, um, what's the place that's called Clintarf, or that oh, sort of area? That's, that's where I'm like from. That. Hey! Yeah. <laughs> um, it was one of those areas north um, by the coast, uh, about the dangers of seagulls, because apparently a, a lady was feeding se- seagulls and she got fined. Um, yeah, because they, yeah. they're, they're counted as vermin. Yep. But I think they are, like, pushing the pigeons out of the city centre. Because I've been seeing a lot more pi- a lot more seagulls, but not as many pigeons. That's a good point. Mm. Yeah. The, there's a, also a fan page for the uh, the Hamilton pigeons. Like, the, they're, they're well-loved. <laughs> they're well-loved. Pitting them against each other. Yeah. yeah. But there's no seagulls mentioned in um, any of Oscar Wilde's fairy tales. I no, that's too Chekhov. Let's go. I don't think. <laughs> okay, so uh, one of the stories that involves a little sparrow the noise of which we can't make, is a story that Georgia has told a few times with mm-hmm. our shadow puppets. Uh, would you like to give us your retelling of it? Now, when you say sparrow... Sparrow. Swallow. Swallow. Oh, oh, God. Swallow. I always mix up those two birds, swallows <laughs> and sparrows. I, th- I think it's because they begin with an S. Yeah, no, I, I keep saying sparrow instead of swallow and swallow instead of sparrow. Because yours is a nightingale, of course, because yeah. I'm mm-hmm. going, Emily, that's your yeah. story we've got no, We've got no sparrows. No sparrows, and yet I keep saying sparrow. Um, so yeah, I am going to be performing the Happy Prince, which is about a little swallow. We get real confused because there's a lot of birds here. All the names. Um, and this is mm, a version of the Happy Prince. Mm. Once upon a time, there was a little swallow. On the outside, this bird appeared confident and witty, but really he felt terribly lonely. He felt like he was different to all the other swallows. He wanted to go off on mad adventures to the Americas, Persia, China and Australia. But every year, the other swallows would return to Egypt and he followed them because he was scared of being alone. One year, these swallows stopped to rest on the outskirts of a European city. I'm bored of Egypt, the little swallow cried. How about this year we go to Japan? I've heard they do great seafood and... But the other swallows scolded him and told him to get some sense. Fine, he said, in a tone that suggested that it was certainly not fine. I'll go by myself. I'm sure I'll find much cooler friends along the way. And with that, he took off. But he soon realised that he didn't even know which direction Japan was in. Now, high above the nearby city, on a tall podium, stood the statue of the Happy Prince. He was covered all over with gold. For eyes, he had two bright blue sapphires and a large red ruby glowed on his sword hilt. He smiled out of the city every day and every night, and all who passed him either admired or envied his happiness and grandeur. It was here, between the feet of the happy prince, that the little swallow decided to sleep, before making his way to Egypt, because he realised that, well, he should probably follow them there. But just as he was drifting off, splash! A great big drop of water landed on him. He woke with a start. It couldn't be raining. There, there wasn't a cloud in the sky. But as he was looking upwards, he saw that there were tears in the eyes of the happy prince. He flew up and perched on the prince's shoulder. Uh, are you okay there, buddy? The swallow asked awkwardly. He didn't realise the statues could cry, let alone have feelings. Another tear rolled down the prince's golden cheek. You've kind of drenched me with those tears there, so I figure you're not okay. What's up? When I was alive and had a human heart, I did not know what tears were, answered the prince. I lived in a beautiful palace, surrounded by joyful people, and I had everything I ever wanted. But that palace was surrounded by high walls. I did not see all the suffering of the people of this city, my people. But now, Up here, I can see it all. 
my heart is made of lead, and yet I weep for them. My feet are fastened to the pedestal, and it is so terribly lonely not being able to help. At this moment I am watching a seamstress who is embroidering a gown for an aristocrat. She is exhausted and her hands are red and sore with pink bricks. In a bed near her lies her son. He has a terrible fever and needs food and clean water. She hasn't the money to pay for these things and she must finish the gown so she can pay their rent. Swallow, swallow, little swallow. Will you bring her the ruby on my sword hilt? Oh, uh, replied the swallow. I mean, I'd love to help, but my really cool friends are waiting for me in Egypt, so I gotta skedaddle. Please, little swallow. The boy is so thirsty and his mother is so sad. The swallow eventually gave in. He plucked the red ruby and flew off and found the seamstress. He placed the ruby next to her thimble. She was so exhausted she didn't even notice him there. Then the swallow flew over to the little boy in his bed and fanned his face to try and cool his fever. Eventually, the boy turned over and fell asleep. The swallow flew back to the prince and settled down to go to sleep. He thought about this nice, warm, fuzzy feeling he was getting, but then he fell asleep because thinking made him tired. The next day, the swallow flew up to the prince's shoulder once more. Right, I'm off to Egypt now. Want me to bring you back anything, buddy? Swallow, swallow, little swallow, will you stay with me one night longer? I can see a poor writer across the city who is trying to finish his novel, but he has no money for firewood, and his fingers are so numb that he cannot even hold his pen. Swallow, swallow, little swallow, will you bring him one of my sapphire eyes? What shall we do tonight, prince? The same thing we do every night, swallow, redistribute the wealth of the one percent, sighed the <laughs> swallow, jokingly. The prince didn't respond. Clearly, he didn't get the references. And so the swallow gave in plucked out one of the prince's sapphire eyes and flew off to find the poor writer. He found him asleep at his desk, the pages of his novel fluttering dangerously in the icy wind, icy wind that stole in through the cracks in his window and roof. The swallow panicked and quickly paced, placed the sapphire on the pile of pages, hoping that its weight would prevent them from being blown away. And with that, the swallow once more returned to the feet of the prince, settled down to sleep, and again, that warm, fuzzy feeling helped to keep the icy cold of winter's approach somewhat at bay. The next day, the swallow flew up to the prince's shoulder once more. Right, I am genuinely and definitely off to Egypt now. I'll bring you back a new ruby and a new sapphire to replace your old ones, prince. Swallow, swallow, little swallow, will you stay with me one night longer? Comrade prince, I'm afraid I am too small to go seizing the means of production for you. I really must go. <clears throat> Please, little swallow, there is a little girl crying at the foot of this podium. Just down there, she presses daisies in summer and sells them in winter to bring people joy and so that she can afford to feed herself. But alas, she is sick and a few moments ago she stumbled and dropped her dried flowers into a puddle. They are ruined and she will no longer be able to save up to see a doctor. <clears throat> me. The swallow looked from the prince to the girl and back to the prince again. He plucked out the sapphire eye and flew down to the girl, dropping the gem into the palm of her hand. The girl looked up in surprise. She was so tearful and sad, so the swallow did a little dance for her. And she laughed so joyfully that the swallow thought his heart might burst at the sound of it. He flew back up to the prince's shoulder. You're blind now, prince. I'm going to stay with you. No, little swallow. You must go away to Egypt, your cool friends. I'm staying right here. I think I like this warm, fuzzy feeling of socialism. Over the following weeks, the swallow helped the happy prince to distribute his gold plating to the people of the city. Children could buy bread, workers could buy new shoes, and the sick could afford to visit a doctor. But the winter grew colder, and the swallow knew that he was not built to survive this climate. Not even that warm, fuzzy feeling of socialism could keep the icy chill from reaching his heart. He returned to the prince once more. Well, buddy, this has been fun, but... I'm going to have to go now. Oh yes, replied the prince. Egypt, little swallow, I hope you have the most marvellous adventures there. I don't think it's Egypt that I'm going to, but, uh, well, I'm sure it'll be one hell of an adventure. Thank you, prince, for being the coolest friend I ever could have wished for. And with that, the swallow dropped dead at the feet of the prince. A loud crack sounded out across the city. Sorry, microphone, I forgot not in a theatre. The frost that day had been so fierce 
It had even snapped the iron heart of the statue in two. The councillors who ran the town soon had the statue removed. They believed it looked too shabby, and the little body of the swallow was swept away with the rubble. The people of the city found no more surprise deliveries of gold and gems with which they could pay for food and clothing. But do you remember that seamstress? Well, she didn't just use her ruby to pay for food and medicine. She also used it to establish a trade union so that, <laughs> so that she could lobby the city council to improve workers' rights. And that writer? That sapphire brought, bought more than just a firewood and a new window pane. He bought a second-hand printing press, too. When he wasn't writing best-selling fiction, he printed pamphlets for the trade union to help educate citizens on their rights and, and how they could campaign for better living conditions. And that little flower girl? Well, she stumbled into the nearest doctor's surgery, explained how sick she was, and then held out her precious sapphire. The doctor was so taken aback and shocked at the girl's predicament that she took her in, treated her, gave her a home and an education. The swallow and the prince didn't necessarily make things easier for these people, but they sometimes made things that little bit less difficult. The coolest friends have a habit of doing that. I'm really sorry if that came across as very overtly political. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we've, we've just come out of an election, so it's yeah. feeling a little bit political. Uh, so, as, a, as some people may have noticed, that was slightly different from Wilde's telling. I didn't see any deviations <laughs> whatsoever. I, I, do, I do love the little, the little swallow. What we do tonight, Prince? Same thing we do every, every night, night, swallow. Comrade Prince. I know. That was Emily's idea, actually. I oh, that. We, were, we were just sort of playing around with the story, and um, we, we, we'd come to the conclusion that, okay, we were going to make the story very, very much about you know socialism, um, and just said, Comrade Prince, it's a bit of an oxymoron, but we're not because I had a Cockney swallow for some reason. Yeah, I must say a lot of a lot of the stuff in that story did really come from from Emily's improv on that day. Nice well, we, we were all playing around and having having a bit of fun with it. Yeah. Um, but uh, Oscar Wilde, what was what were his opinions on charity and socialism? Well, because yeah, he did write this essay on socialism, where um, yeah, I think um, God, it's a long time since I read it, but the impression that I, I seem to have got from it was he mentioned when it came to charity that it seemed a bit ridiculous. Um, the the way that it was it was sometimes structured is. Um, that you know it's kind of like that situation you give a man a fish he feeds himself for a day you give him a net and he can feed himself more it was mm. not so focused on actually improving people's living conditions and uh life i don't it, know the it, word it was sort of like the the upper classes like patted themselves on the back yeah. as they treated the symptom but not the disease oh look i'm such a good you know christian mm. or whatever giving let, let us go to the charity ball yeah. yeah but did they even know if that money was going to reach those people you know yeah i don't think he wasn't as bad as like modern like a lot of interpretations made him out to be like because upon like first glance he's just typical like he's lounging he's so upper class like it yeah hurts but like um Going through his, like, all of his books of quotes, like, he does have some where it's clear he it, he's not, like, apathetic, you know? Like, it, it, he he does have sympathy. And then you see in his fairy tales his little messages of, like, yeah. you should and what he wants to pass on to children. But, again, what people say and what people practice, like, yeah. are necessarily the same thing. And he certainly wasn't one to, like, give up any luxury for anyone or anything, yeah. Um, yeah. which was his style. But I, he wasn't as... Um, he wasn't as bad as he was made yeah, out to be. Even with those comments that he made in that essay, you're sort of going, "Oh wow!" Like you actually had some cop on in regard yeah. to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, he was um he was an aesthetic, which yeah, an aesthetic mm. philosophy. So like, he's got this comment about in um in America, people he asked him, "Why do you think America is such a violent country?" Well, darling, it's because you have such ugly wallpaper, <laughs> which yeah. at first seems like this very flippant comment, but is actually a commentary on if you surround people by ugly things, mm-hmm. ugly buildings, you should yeah. either be if there's no beauty or art in your yeah. life. Well, is it any surprise that they turn to ugly actions? Should either be a work of art or wear a work of art. Yeah, yeah. He definitely strikes me as like any time he made a remark that might have come across as flippant. If you actually picked him up on it, mm-hmm. he'd have a like an essay long explanation. Mm-hmm. And like he's also king of contradicting himself. Oh, and his yeah. his quote books are like a 
you think he's really getting towards one thing and then his next section of poetry he's immediately contradicting himself i think he was one of those writers that if it just sounded quite wishy regardless of whether mm. he genuinely believed in it it's something he's going to say or it's something he's going to make a character say yeah um and then people will pluck it out and be like well you know oscar wilde said this and he's like yeah but he also said this yeah. <laughs> he's he's a total contradiction um that's being human being yeah human is being mm. a contradiction it's difficult as well when people sort of uh, attribute quotes to him but you're sort of going but he wrote a character saying that you're yeah. sort of mm-hmm. saying like it's not like mm-hmm. Oscar Wilde came out at breakfast about yeah. this sort of thing to lose one parent might be considered a misfortune to lose two was carelessness he didn't really yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. he, didn't, he didn't really he didn't say that to someone who had just lost a parent yeah. he, he, he wrote a character who was very um, yeah. like I don't know what the word I'm looking for is very proper to say that yeah he's uh, yeah, he is funny in the contradictions because he is he was himself such a snob. Mm-hmm. But at the same time was quite critical of the the aristocracy. Mm. Um while really wanting to be part of the aristocracy. Mm-hmm. I suppose it's an interesting one because he like obviously his oh, his parents didn't have titles. Did we go through they this before did, or did they? Um yeah, well his they weren't born with titles. Mm. His parents would have been um the professional class, so mm-hmm. like Lower upper class, uh, mm. upper middle class, but his father got awarded a title, Sir okay. William Wilde, and his father was a doctor before that. Mm. Mm. Oh yes, of course, because it was his medical work. So mm. I guess it's that interesting thing of Oscar Wilde would have come from like you know a sort of well-to-do upper middle class mm. uh, family. He went to Trinity, then moved on to Oxford, and he would have been around even sitting in on these mm. paintings. He would have been around all this very high society, and you know and at the same time, yeah, a lot of poverty. Mm. Like a thing that was pointed out on the Oscar Wilde house tour is just across from where he grew, grew up is Marion Square, which mm-hmm. is this you know, lovely park, but it was a private park. So the people who lived in the Georgian houses around there, they would have had a key so they could have gone into the park. I was one of those, So yeah. yeah, Oscar, his brother and his little sister, who was a lot younger than him, they had two governesses and they would have regularly been brought out to the park to, you know, perambulate. Yeah. But there would have been like the little gutter children on the other side of the gates, who couldn't get in. Mm-hmm. Oh, that gives yeah. a lot more context to Selfish Giant as yeah, well, anyway. Yeah, it does. And his, his father, uh, William Wilde, he, w- he founded um, the Royal Ear, Eye, Nose, Throat Hospital. Yeah. But he also, he set up some like clinics and things for people who couldn't necessarily pay. Yeah. And one of the things, he was, a, he was into all sorts of things, including folklore, and so sometimes there are like, I don't know how true it is, but there's stories of him, patients coming and they couldn't pay, but he'd say, can you tell me a story from where you grew up mm. um, as payment? So I don't know how true that is, but I like that image. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think a lot of them is that he was like, such a character. He did have to kind of play into it after a while. He was playing when he, wild. Yeah, when he was known to go to parties and be such a upper class, like, um, a witty remark to say to everyone I don't care about anything he had to play into that character regardless of his own kind of personal beliefs if he suddenly turned around and he was like you know what I really think we might you know redistribute the wealth they go what and he's like never mind I meant I meant this place is ugly haha <laughs> and they're like okay fair enough so yeah what do you think about the relationship between the the prince and the swallow and the the whole thing of it being a swallow rather than any other type of bird any thoughts take out the notebook um yeah i mean lots of messy thoughts um i think one thing that struck me last night when i was maybe i should read out the scribble i don't know um it made me think a lot about um what we perceive as being right slash natural slash healthy for ourselves um but also about altruism and the concept what it is to be morally good or just no ignore notebook georgia <laughs> essentially i was thinking about the fact that like you know the, the swallow he he stays mm. even though he i think you know even in the original story like he has an awareness that he's not going to be able to survive yeah. mm-hmm. he, he already knows that he's he's late on his migration because he was having this love affair with a reed yeah. but then he met her family and well things <laughs> just she was a bit too quiet as well I, I also love- she was a reed she couldn't really move around much it's one of my favorite lines in that story though when he like he swoops down he just goes shall i love you it's just <gasps> it's just very like well, shall i and it's Aww. just very very sweet and so gentle i know yeah. oh my heart but just what you're saying about like the altruism thing 
the prince, even though the prince, you know, has sort of had this reawakening to, you know, the suffering of others, doesn't quite get the idea that the swallow is suffering. Mm. Because winter is coming and the swallow is getting colder and colder. But the swallow stays. There's this sort of beautiful line like, Prince, you are blind. Mm. I shall stay and be your eyes. Yeah. Mm. And it's, the prince doesn't seem to quite get the sacrifice that the swallow is making. Because I think even when the swallow does come to him before he dies in the original story, um, I probably should have read that one today. Um, That's quite long. I think that the prince does sort of say, oh yes, Egypt. Yeah. And the swallow sort of says, oh, not really. I'm, I'm not going to have, Egypt. Have you that. not got this mm-hmm. yet, prince? I'm, I'm going somewhere else, somewhere yeah. I cannot return from. I think that like the swallow is so like, they're like, oh, he can go to all the, the mystical lands. He, mm. He's very free. Mm. But as such, the prince is like, well, you're, you're totally free, irregardless. But then like, notice a limitation on that freedom as well. Like yeah. he, just because he wasn't, um, like I've, you do feel bad for the prince in a sense that like you, his life seemed so secluded, even though it was like it was happy. Mm. He had no idea what actual life was like, and now that he actually does, he's kind of he's st- stuck and he can't do anything. And so he's stuck and he can't do anything, and he sees the swallow. And he's like, well, the swallow can do everything. And it's like, no, the swallow can't. Like yeah. the swallow yeah. is the has its a, swallow. The swallow is going to die. Um, <laughs> it has its limitations too. Yeah, yeah. I. I, like I know, like for plot reasons, it sort of needs to be a swallow to be a migratory bird because if it was a robin, the robin would be grand. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I won't just come in. I'll go pose for some Christmas cards. Sand. Um, but a sort of swallows, I sometimes see them as a like a a symbol of hope mm. because you know mm. the swallows come back at the end of winter. They they go away, but they return. And I'm sure someone has written something very elegant about swallows. Either that swallows run away from trouble when the winter comes, or that swallows return as symbols of hope and rebirth and all that jazz. Well, there mm-hmm. is the saying, um, well, I think the one I heard was, one swallow does not a summer make, mm-hmm. um, which originally comes from Aristotle, mm-hmm. Nicomachean ethics, I can't speak mm-hmm. ancient Greek. For as one swallow or one day does not make a spring, so one day or a short time does not make a fortunate or happy man. It's oh. a bit of a mouthful. Um, but yeah, a lot of the symbolism stuff I was researching was very much about, about hope or sometimes a sort of almost um, like uh, religious deity sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and he originally ends it. In, he, a lot of his fairy tales, they suddenly, they took this very tragic twist and he's sort of like, almost like, oh, um, uh, and then angels. Yeah. <laughs> so God sends an angel to the city to bring back the two most precious things. Oh, yeah. And he brings back... The, uh, the body of the swallow and the broken heart of the prince and then they live forever in the garden of paradise. It always comes across to me like what they've done with the Irish mythology when Christianity came along they're like and then St. Patrick was there and, yeah. <laughs> and then it was all Christian. It comes across like that because it's literally the last two lines yeah. and like and then God yeah. was like <laughs> and then God Particularly said. Particularly in Happy Prince and it mm. does always come across as like look I don't know like I, I, I know while he mm. did convert to Roman Catholicism at the but end of his life. But, mm. I think but he preferred like the smells and the bells of it rather than the... Oh, yeah. <laughs> you would choose the, the most. forgiveness of sins, but maybe. Even oh, no. with, the, um, mm. with the end of Happy Prince, the way that it, it almost sounds kind of tongue-in-cheek, I can't remember the mm. wording in the end, and because it's not throughout the story, it just suddenly yeah. comes in at the end, you're sort of going, mm. like, is he being kind yeah. of, like, sarcastic or yeah. something? Well, these were written as very... Uh, particularly the selfish giant, these were fairy tales for his kids. Yeah. So maybe he was, he got to the end of the story and realised that his, his two little children were about to burst into tears and maybe yeah. and he's like, oh, and then, uh, but don't worry, and then an angel. Yeah. Or maybe his wife was walking in going, um, Oscar, mm-hmm. could, could you maybe, you know, tone down the socialism mm-hmm. there? Just, you know, the, the children are meant to be saying their prayers and, you know, being good little Victorian children. Could you, could mm-hmm. you not be indoctrinating them into your aesthetic principles quite this early. But I don't know, this is wild speculation. And the selfish <laughs> giant having like a, a child with like Jesus's yeah. <laughs> wounds from the cross yeah. and then being like, now you're coming to my garden of paradise yeah. is um, it's a twist that I always do forget and it's then a, read it again. It's a bit I forget, but it also, it fits a bit more mm. with sort of the you know, the garden as paradise and innocence and things mm. it fits a bit better than the the random tacking on of angels you rarely come across jesus as a child in fiction full stop like i don't really like as a child child like um and as a figure of you know a child to be helped as opposed to a helper it's it's really interesting that he added in 
that and like you said you know there's stories for his children so like he he's always one for taking down certain characters off their pedestals so yeah. maybe making jesus as a child figure for his kids is another way to say you know even the savior you know needs a, a leg up <laughs> to the tree i never considered that before thank you for like wow yeah i'm just I, rambling actually, on, on you know child jesus showing up there is a brilliant song by henry purcell it's like it's almost an opera in itself, but it's sort of like just slightly before opera became a thing. Called if I can remember the full title, "The Virgin Mary's Expostulation When the Lord Our God Jesus Christ Went Missing at the Age of Twelve. <laughs> and it's it's just it's Mary going, "Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus gone? Uh, Gabriel? Where's Gabriel? Where's the Archangel when you need him? I can't find Jesus. Herod was trying to kill him twelve years ago. What if Herod's found him? What if he's lost? What if he's ended up in the desert? Where is my baby?" Oh, he's just making wine. Yeah, I don't know if that was that it's story. long. It's it's nearly a ten minute sing, mm-hmm. and it's it's fantastic to sing. But it is it is all the the emotions of a mother who's lost her baby. Yeah, and it, you sort of forget. Oh yeah, Jesus would have been a teenager. Yeah, we had. Yeah. The, I had this talk literally like last night the night before with my dad, and I was like. I wish Jesus' teenage years, I like, I, because all those Bibles that got cut yeah. out of the final Bible course, yeah. there had to be one or two that oh, were like, were. and when Jesus was 15, he had a crush and like it didn't work <laughs> out and he was real awkward. Did he have acne? I need, like, I, I, I think it's like, I, I think nowadays it's, it, well, it's a whole phase of like, don't humanize Christ yeah. at all. But then you go to a phase in like the Middle Ages where it's like, yeah, they were... ma- literally marry Christ and be attracted to Christ yeah. if you mm. are like a nun. <laughs> Um, and then veering back into more modern day, that's not okay yeah. to say that. But didn't yeah. um, Pullman write that book, um, the, the good, Testament of Mary? I know, the Good Man, Jesus, and the Scoundrel Christ. That was a few maybe, years ago. Maybe I do um, know that there have been like uh, theologian people have been debating like how human was Jesus for mm. for donkey's years. Mm. So it might not have yeah. been Philip Pullman. I could have, but yeah, the, the man, the man Jesus and the Scoundrel Christ does does ring yeah. a bell. It's it's if bad. you're on Twitter, tweet us. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it yeah, Jesus yeah. and Jesus and sparrows and happy princes. Uh, Roshan, you actually have a very beautifully illustrated copy I of do. Wild's I'm... Fairy Tales. Where did I put it? It's like I had it somewhere. Is there a dog sleeping? Is there a dog sleeping? Oh, is there a dog sleeping? Oh, I think I remembered that. Oh, there she yeah. is. She's keeping <laughs> yes. it safe. Yeah. Mimi was asleep on the book. It's a yeah, it's a beautiful book mm. um, illustrated by. Oh, I'll just mop up some milk. So oh, sorry. I spilt milk. Uh, no use crying over it. Charles Robinson. Yeah, and it's it's just beautiful. And mm-hmm. I was wondering, since you have it there, and since the other wild fairy tale that prominently features a bird is The Nightingale and the Rose, would you like to read The Nightingale and the Rose? <gasps> I'm scared. I'm, I'm terrified. Um. I will if you want me to. If if you'd be okay with it. I did, actually did my leaving my junior set art project um on Wild and I this is a story that I was obsessed with and I did calligraphy of it um of that scene where press your heart hard. Yeah, where um don't worry you'll have your red rose. I will um I was singing to being by moonlight and I will like I did that oh in calligraphy um and I still have it at home with like a a portrait of Oscar Wilde which you can't do anymore because they changed the whole syllabus but anyway. Good for them. Beautiful. But um, yeah, just the nightingale on the rose. Um, word for word, or just um, wh- whatever you like. Like if you want to, some of Oscar words, some of your words. Yeah. So, the nightingale on the rose. She said she would dance with me if I brought her red roses. Cried the young student. But in all my garden, there is no red rose. From her nest in the holm oak tree, the nightingale heard him, and she looked out through the leaves and wondered. So the student kept on crying over his red rose, and he was lamenting that all the little things that your happiness had to depend on, and for him it was a rose that he couldn't have, and that he was blessed with all the secrets of philosophy and all of the words of the wise men, but he still had no rose. And the nightingale said, here at last is a true lover, Night after night I have sung with him, though I knew him not. Night after night I have told his story to the stars, and now I see him. His hair is dark at the hyacinth's blossom, and his lips are red as the rose of his desire. But passion has made his face like pale ivory, and sorrow has set her seal upon his brow. So this nightingale was a... 
die-hard romantic. It's <laughs> ridiculous obsession with love. And the student was lamenting that the prince was having a ball the next night, that he really wanted to bring his love with him, but she would not go if he did not have a red rose, and he had to have it by dawn. And if he had the red rose, he would be able to love her forever, but this seemed impossible. And Nidigo again said, Here indeed is a true lover. What I sing of, he suffers. What is joy to me, to him is pain. Surely love is a wonderful thing. It is more precious than emeralds and dearer than fine opals. Pearls and pomegranates cannot buy it, nor is it set forth in the marketplace. It may not be purchased of the merchants, nor can it be weighed out in the balance for gold. And the nightingale, obsessed with love, failed to see the irony that it could be bought but not by gold, by a red rose. And the young student was saying that the musicians will sit in their gallery and they will play upon their instruments and his love would be dancing, but he would not dance to her because he had no red rose. And a lizard that was passing by asked her, why is he crying? And the butterfly that was flying by said he was stupid to be crying. And then a daisy was saying, well, why is he crying? And then Idaho told them all, he's crying for a red rose. For a red rose, they cried. How very ridiculous. And the little lizard, who was something of a cynic, laughed outright. But Nainigo felt that he understood the student's sorrow more than anyone else. And so he sat in his oak tree and thought about love. So she decided to help. And she flew to a rose tree. Give me a red rose, she cried, and I will sing you my sweetest song. But the tree shook its head. My roses are white, it answered as white of the foam of the sea, and whiter than the snow upon the mountain. But go to my brother, who grows around the old sundial, and perhaps he will give you what you want. And so the nightingale was now on a quest to help the student, and he went to the other rose tree, and he said, Give me a red rose, and I will sing you my sweetest song. But the tree shook its head. My roses are yellow, it answered, as yellow as the hair of the mermaiden who sits upon Lamber throne and yellower than the daffodil that blooms in the meadow before the mower comes with his scythe. But go to my brother, who grows beneath the student's window, and perhaps he will give you what you want. So the Nightingale flew to the rose tree that was right under the student's window, and again she said, Please give me a red rose, and I will sing you my sweetest song. But the tree shook his head and sighed. Yes, my roses are red. As red as the feet of the dove, and redder than the great fans of coral that wave and wave in the ocean cavern. But the winter has chilled my veins, and the frost has nipped my buds, and the storm has broken my branches, and I shall have no roses at all this year. And Nainagal started to cry, and I said, I only want one red rose, just one. Is there no way I can get it? And the tree said, well, there is a way. But it is so awful that I dare not tell you. And Nanigo begged, please, tell it to me. I am not afraid of anything. And the tree said, well, if you want a red rose, you must build it out of music by moonlight and stain it with your own heart's blood. You must sing to me with your breast against a thorn. All night long you must sing to me, and the thorn must pierce your heart and your lifeblood must flow into my veins and become mine. The nightingale thought for a bit. Death is a great price to pay for a red rose, and life is very dear to all. It is pleasant to sit in the green wood and to watch the sun in his chariot of gold and the moon in her chariot of pearl. But the nightingale thought again and said, Yet love is better than life. And what is the heart of a bird compared to the heart of a man? So he spread her wings and she soared into the air and she kept an eye out for the young student. He was still lying in the grass, crying to himself. And she flew down next to him and sung. And she said, be happy, be happy. You shall have your red rose. I will build it out of music by moonlight and stain it with my own heart's blood. All that I ask of you in return is that you will be a true lover, for love is wiser than philosophy, though she is wise, and mightier than power, though he is mighty. But the student only heard an ironing girl singing, and so ignored it. 
But the oak tree understood and felt sad that the little nightingale would no longer come home. So she went back to the rose tree and she put her breast against a thorn and let it pierce her heart. And so she sung all night long. All night long she sang with her breast against a thorn and the cold crystal moon leaning down and listening. All night long she sang with the thorn going deeper into her breast as her life fled away from her. She sang first of love between a boy and a girl and there a red rose began to blossom above her, petal following petal as song followed song. It was pale at first, as pale as the mist that hangs over the river. But then, as she sung on, she saw more and more of love. It grew redder and redder. The tree cried to the nightingale, press closer, little nightingale, or the day will come before the rose is finished. And so the nightingale pressed closer and sung louder and louder. Eventually, the rose was done and it was redder than any rose had been before. Crimson was the girdle of petals, and crimson as a ruby was the heart. And the nightingale's voice grew fainter, and her little wings began to beat, and a film came over her eyes. Fainter and fainter grew her song, and she felt something choking in her throat. She gave one last burst of music, The white moon heard it and she forgot the dawn and lingered on in the sky. The red rose heard it and it opened its petals in the cold morning air. Look, look, cried the tree. The rose is finished now. But the nightingale could not answer her as she was lying dead in the grass with the thorn still in her heart. The student opened his window once it was morning. What a great piece of luck. Here is my red rose. He plucked it and he put in his hat and he ran down to the door of his love and he knocked on the door and he said, you said that you would dance with me if I brought you a red rose. Here is the reddest rose in the world. And the girl looked at him and said, I'm afraid it will not go with my dress. And besides, the Chamberlain's nephew has sent me some real jewels and everybody knows that jewels cost far more than flowers. And the student was very angry called her ungrateful, and he tossed the rose into the street where it fell into the gutter, and the cart went over it. What a silly thing love is, said a student as he walked away. It's not half as useful as logic, for it does not prove anything, and it is always telling one of things that are not going to happen and making one believe things that are not true. In fact, it is quite impractical, and as in this age to be practical is everything, I shall go back to philosophy and study metaphysics. And so he returned to his room, and pulled out a great dusty book and began to read. Oh, I'm sorry we're jumping up there. I it's think fun was trying to eat something in your bag. <laughs> <It's> okay, I'm <laughs> sorry timing. for the sorry for the gender of the nightingale changing halfway through. Yeah. I forgot she was a she. I I don't know. I like the nightingale changes gender in my head a lot. Also, it's yeah. a nightingale, so it I, doesn't really matter. It, it, <clears> I don't <throat> have the same. I don't. Yeah. I, I know. I know birds have no, genders. Yeah, birds, but I just sort of see them as less. Gendered. Yeah. Yeah. But in the original, do they use the he or she pronoun? Yeah, she. 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 Yeah, but the nightingale is she, and the sp- swallow. Swallow. swallow mm-hmm. Is he? Oh, because I think I yeah no when the first time I told the nightingale and the rose I think I switched to he. he instead. I think so. Yeah. 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 It's um. Oh God. Yeah. yeah it's a such a stab in the heart story. One of my favorite stories ever. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, it's so beautiful. Too. Actually, you did it for your junior cert art project. I, I did. did my junior cert leave junior cert home economics project. Really, it was in embroidery. Yeah. Oh. Um, oh. It was Rose. You managed to make home ec interesting. <laughs> oh. Home ec is great fun. Home ec should be compulsory because it's the only subject that teaches you like practical stuff. Yeah, like, I will admit. I wish there'd been like how to do a household budget. Yeah, mm-hmm. that sort of covered like <laughs> how proportional representation works. Mm-hmm. And, and that uh, was meant to be CSP tax. Yeah, I mean, I remember yeah. a little bit about the EU, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah, no. oh yeah, that story is such a such a stab in the heart. 
It's just that, like, the image particularly of that, the rose just getting chucked into the gutter and then a wheel just going straight over it, a cart yeah. just... And it's that thing of, like, I don't know, that, that thing of, like, well, making yourself vulnerable, I suppose, a little mm-hmm. vulnerable, and it's very easy to but just... It, it also, like, yeah. uh, in the retelling that we're doing of it, um, I sort of make it quite clear that the student is a bit of an incel. Yeah. Very oh, true. Yeah. <laughs> very true. Yeah, he, oh, dear. He doesn't really know this woman, but he's in, he wants the idea of her. Yeah. And he has this thing of, like, well, I've given you the thing, so mm-hmm. then where's my love? Mm-hmm. It's not transactional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's not. Because he should... But, it, yeah, it's, it's awful because of the way that he... You know, he, he's clearly got a massive crush in this, on mm-hmm. this woman and then... Um, she sort of says, oh, I'll dance with you if, if you give me a red rose, even if we take him at his word that mm. she said that. Like, God, he should have known then that, like, she shouldn't have been demanding that, you know? Yeah. And then to I, go off and... Oh. Have, have such sympathy at the beginning if you don't know how it ends, because you're like, yeah. but this... You know, everyone's been there. Like, it's always like, oh, someone that... Well, not everyone's been there, but, like, if you, if you feel romantic attraction, it's likely that you've been there and, like, it's someone that you, like... Are really into and then you're um but the way he goes about it where he's like well surely this is just like acquiring anything else like he sees it as like acquiring something yeah but he also he doesn't seem to like put a lot of effort into looking for the rose yeah he's expecting it to just appear yeah and he goes and sulks was- and then he gets rejected so then he goes and sulks and mm-hmm. like <sighs> Good thing he didn't have the internet. He's just stuck with books, yeah. like, dusty books. What's that quote? Is um, I think that's just online. It's like if he writes one, a few sonnets for the girl, he loves the girl. If he writes a hundred sonnets, he just likes sonnets. Yeah. He comes across as someone who just likes the um, the aesthetic of love. He's lying in the grass in the dew. Yeah. Oh my love, love ne- my love will never love me. The princess ball is tomorrow. Whereas the nightingale um, believes in love so deeply she really will do anything but it's you also feel like that the nightingale that's not a healthy no at all to be doing to be you know neither of them completely sacrificing yourself for anyone but particularly for someone who does not yeah yeah i think it's two quite unhealthy Mm -hmm. attitudes towards love you know because no one comes out well in that apart from the chamberlain's daughter because she gets her jewels and and someone else to dance with yeah well, no, she's not the Chamberlain. She's, oh, she's dancing with the Chamberlain's she's nephew. Nephew, that's, yeah. nephew, that's yeah. it. Yeah. So it's um, like it's the most sort of beautifully tragic story in, in the thing. It but is. it's also the most cynical. Yeah. Mm. It's clear that the Nightingale doesn't really understand. Like it, she's almost like a because she's just singing yeah. a song and she's but she sings it every night. So she's like, well, it has to be great. This yeah. thing. She doesn't even feel the love herself. She's just she, like. Yeah. This is what love is, she's and it's great. She's in love with great. the idea of love. Mm-hmm. They're both in love with an idea rather than a. She's, really she's, thing, yeah. she's been told so often that like this is it, it's greater than life itself. It's greater, and you you and so she's like, well, surely then you it's should a, do anything for love. Yeah. because all you need is love. <laughs> yeah, the greatest thing is just to love and be loved in return. Yeah, um, yeah. It shows two guys who's quite naive attitudes mm-hmm. love in that yeah. case maybe. Um, yeah. And I don't know, like, I don't know even if it's something I'd want to even go down the route of thinking of, but the fact that the 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 male character has that view and the female character has her view, and it's, I, don't, I mean, I don't know if he's trying mm. to make a comment there. Yeah. I don't know. We, and it was also writing at a time where, like, if you've seen Little Women, mm. uh, the new um, film version, that they, they make the point that um, for some women, in this time, love and marriage, it wasn't, marriage and wasn't about love, it was about financial transaction and survival mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah so i guess like um like the your one the unnamed um like a, a, the, unnamed a, love. the unnamed love i guess from a modern perspective yeah like it's selfish she just said jewels but i don't know maybe she's the only gonna she's gonna be the only breadwinner for her family mm-hmm. and if yeah. someone's giving you jewels as opposed to roses she's looking at her penis. she's like you know i've got to set up a life i'm not gonna be able it's to work penniless student or yeah guy he's got connections he's got yeah. wealth mm-hmm. um maybe he's a really nice guy as well and they get on yeah. really well maybe he d- didn't just send jewels maybe he sent like I don't know, maybe a she, genuine interest in her personality. Yeah, maybe they actually know each other. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe she's not going to be dancing with anyone, but she just decided to lie to Maybe she's going to run away with the jewels. Maybe she's going to, maybe <laughs> yes. she's going to rob him. Like the, the only sort of character that, you know, comes out well 
It's the oak tree. I was yeah. just thinking. Yeah. The oak tree who, who, who thinks that the nightingale is, <gasps> is sad, that the nightingale is giving up her life. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's like the parental figure. Yeah. God bless. Yeah, so nightingales. I don't think I've ever seen a nightingale. Um, I've heard one sing in, in Barclay Square. Square. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't actually. nightingale Square. Isn't that the song of Cinderella when she's like, she's doing uh, the floor and all the little bubbles come up and oh, she's yeah, like, like, sing sweet, sweet nightingale. nightingale. Mm-hmm. So nightingales, they're, they're famous for their song. Mm. And birdsong is a thing that gets, you know, it shows a bit a lot of folklore fairy tales as being this almost magical, mystical thing. Mm. So there's, um, I think it's Rowena. Uh, I could be saying the name wrong. It's Welsh. Uh, she's a sort of goddess figure possibly connected uh, to the Morrigan of our figure. She's a sort of poetry goddess as well. But she has these magical songbirds that when they sing, they will take away all your sorrow. They'll lull you into a beautiful sleep. But they take away your memory as well. Mm. Um, so they take away the memory of the thing that was causing you sorrow. Like eternal sunshine, spotless mind. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> so they're, they're very beautiful. And then it's sort of interesting. The nightingale sings obviously at night and it's very beautiful, but in this case it's very sort of sorrowful. But the first bird that sings in the morning is the blackbird. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and you find a lot of, um, there's like an old Irish poem that I can't remember any of, which is basically about someone going, I can hear the blackbird singing, so I know the night has passed, so I know I am safe. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a beautiful First World War poem that was then set to music by Michael Head called A Blackbird Singing, which is sort of this memory of Time and time was safe. It's like a blackbird singing on a moss upholstered stone, bluebirds ringing, silence richly born. But the sorrow and silence are the woods' tremedy, the silence for you, and the sorrow for me. Oh. And it's it's a, it's a beautiful poem, and it's been set to, to music as part of a cycle by Michael Head, and it's really beautiful. But this whole sort of power of bird song mm. to be both mystical and magical, and either protection on the nightingale giving and giving in a different fairy tale the nightingale's song would make the rose bloom without mm-hmm. having to die and everyone would live happily ever after but oscar wilde had a tragic view of love yeah oh yeah <laughs> so yeah it's interesting thinking the nightingale sings i presume is it actually like at night or is it sort of like dust i think it's Dusk. Yeah, because there's you know that um that time that's sometimes referred to as the magic hour. Oh yeah. When the sun has like it's gone down, but you still have that sort of yeah, diffused twilight. Oh, beautiful. Like yeah. that is that is magical. Yeah. So and we we get in like this part of the world we get long twilights and long mm. dawns. Yeah, this grand old stretch in the evening. <laughs> no, there isn't. It's only February. There's not yet a month. It's still getting dark at like half five. Yeah. My friends were asking, like, Roisin, that aren't from Dublin, they're like, Roisin, tell me a nice quiet area in Dublin to walk alone. I'm like, no, huh. don't. Huh. No. Don't walk alone in Dublin in a quiet area. I'm not going to tell you where because um, I don't want you to. Yeah. <laughs> it's very, it's very, very romantic to think you might go stroll in the twilight and listen to the nightingales until you realise... No, no, you're in the city. Yeah. Don't do that. You're in the city, there's... The, yeah, I can't think of anywhere. A tiny beach maybe, so bad. maybe the beach. I was thinking like Sandy Strand, maybe, but you're not going to hear any nightingales. You're just going to hear some, mm. some mm. seagulls. And it smells terrible yeah, a lot of the does. time. Yeah, the sea, oh. Which is why my dogs love it. Oh, mm-hmm. no. Because the, it's very tidal when the tide goes out. There's just miles and miles of stinking seaweed. Mm. It is amazing, though, because, yeah, when the tide's out, it's like... It's like a whole other county is just mm. revealed. It's massive. A lot of the, yeah. the land around here is reclaimed land. Mm. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm. Ah. I always used to hear, I, I always used to be like, I can hear owls in the park. Turns out I didn't know the difference between an alcohol and a pigeon. <laughs> <laughs> I, I heard pigeons cooing and I thought, owls are out. <laughs> yeah, pigeons cooing is quite a nice sound. It's a lovely yeah, sound. It gets, like, they're... So soft. So they get a, they get a terrible reputation. Well, you know the pigeons that like we see in the city centre. They're not pigeons. They're doves. <gasps> really? Yeah, they're they're a type of rock dove. Oh my God. The the true pigeon is that we we have some that come into our garden. They're they're much bigger. They're wood pigeons, and they're sort of they they look like they belong in a pie. Oh <laughs> I'm no! Sorry, that's the only way that's the best way I can describe it. They pie look actually very pie adjacent. <laughs> I've never tried pigeon pie, but oh, I'm wait, aware have I? No, I'm thinking a rabbit pie. I'm going to stop. <laughs> Um, it's probably quite gamey pigeon. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, no, I haven't actually had pigeon. I think my mum likes it. Yeah, I've never tried pigeon. Mm. Certainly wouldn't eat any of the pigeon doves that are in the city centre. It wouldn't want to do it whatever is in them. Yeah. <laughs> Chips and fag ends. 
So, yeah, <laughs> on, on, on that, on that happy, note, <laughs> happy note. If you happen to be in London or the surrounding area on, on the, the 1st, 1st of March, March, 8th of March, yeah, it's a Sunday, we will be in the vaults in Waterloo. There'll be a link in the description. 1500 hours. Yeah. And if you are in Dublin in May, <gasps> stay tuned. <gasps> Yes, top secret surprises. Uh, I've been Emily. I've been Georgia. I've been Roisin. Oscar Wilde has been Oscar Wilde, and my snoring dogs have been my snoring dogs. Um, Catch us on the social medias, links in description. If you really liked us, maybe buy us a coffee, because you know we run on tea and coffee. Um, If you really, really like us, maybe subscribe to the Patreon. There might be a bonus story or two on the Patreon. About my connection to Sir William Wilde's hospital. <gasps> oh, yeah. I'll tell you guys after. I'll have to subscribe. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Bye. Bye. Bye.